Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Like Peter said this morning, after seeing our Lord's face shining brighter than the sun, it is good to be here, to be gathered together to celebrate our Lord's transfiguration. If you noticed, or maybe during the gospel reading, the first one, did anyone scratch their head wondering what in the world is going on? Does the deacon have it wrong? When's the priest going to stop him? Good, you're paying attention. Great. Thankfully, in our tradition, we have Sunday gospels that are appointed. So deacon was reading the resurrection gospel, and we also have the gospel that is appointed for this particular feast. And when I first saw this, I said, I I don't want to give up Peter and his walking upon the water, but I found a way. As we have been in the Gospel of Matthew for the past few Sundays, we have our Lord, of course, as I have been talking about the Gospel of Matthew, how he forms his disciples, the miracles, the Attention to the demons where he just stands and says, go. How our Lord uh, retreats and presents for us a model of real retreat from the world in order to connect to God. And what do we have here yet again at the beginning of the gospel of Peter walking on the water? Where does our Lord go? He goes up onto a mountain by himself to pray, yet again presenting us with an example. But as our Lord prays into late in the evening, the disciples are out on the boat. And our Lord, after his retreat, as in the last Sunday, he then returns to the world. But this time he's walking around in the dead of night, like right before dawn. And what do the disciples think they see? A ghost. Think about how the Gospels have come together today. We have Jesus as a ghost, and then him blazing like the sun. There's going to be some development here. The disciples cannot see him. They cannot discern who he is. Jesus cries out, of course, and says, Cheer up. It's just me. I'm just out here strolling on the water. And I was like, oh, okay. And then Peter, of course, we're going to follow Peter through the next few chapters of Matthew. He wants to come out on the water. We have been following the disciples, right? As last week I was talking about how, you know, you have the beat and the disciples are kind of like off a beat. They're still never getting what's going on. We're going to follow this guy. There's something about him. We think he's the Messiah. But even he's a miracle, throwing out demons, multiplying loaves and fish to feed 5,000 just men, not even counting the women and children. You would think when Peter steps out on that water after having said, okay, it's just Jesus, it's not a ghost, that he would just skate across that water. That his faith would be firm. But what is Peter's response? 
He looks around. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He feels the water. He sees the boisterousness. I don't know if you've ever been out deep in water, but it's a little scary to be out in water, especially in the middle of the night. You don't see the shore. All you know is that you're walking on water because Jesus said you can. So, of course, Peter looks left, he looks right, and he begins to sink. Thankfully, Peter cries out, save me. And Jesus immediately grabs him. But he again, he says this, this question to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Of course, Jesus and Peter return to the boat and everyone bows down and worships, declaring him to be the son of God. Faith, just a mustard seed of faith. The roots are beginning to grow. And yet Peter is distracted. Fear and doubt plunge into his heart. And so he plunges into the depths. Now, our Lord, as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, he continues doing miracles. And at one point, as they're journeying along, he turns to the disciples and he says, again, think of Jesus as the rabbi, the teacher. Classes in session. Who do you say that I am? First, you know, who do others say that I am? Who are the others? What, what, do, what do people think who he, Jesus is? Remember what the buzz was? He's Elijah. He's Jeremiah. He's one of the prophets. He's like, okay, that's the buzz. What, who do you? You've been with me. You followed me. You just saw me multiply, throw out demons. I mean, heal people who should never be healed or could never be healed outside of your mind that it could possibly happen. You just saw Peter walk on water. Who do you say that I am? Well, who pipes up? Peter. Peter pipes up. The one who fell into the sea has now become the rock, right? He is the one who confesses and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's figured it out, right? He's kind of put two and two together. He's now solid on this. You are the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not Jeremiah. We... You're not just specially anointed. You are the Son of God. You are Jesus. And we're sure of this. What happens right after this confession of faith? Jesus reveals to them the plan. So far, they've been following him. He's the Messiah. He's doing miracles. He's called them. But now Jesus tells them. From that time, scripture tells us, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. What is Peter's response to being let in on the actual plan? 
No, sir, Jesus, that is not happening. What does the text say specifically? It says Peter rebukes Jesus. The audacity. (laughs) There's no way we will not let this happen. The God who calms the seas, the one who heals the lame, drives out the demons with just a word. His plan is to fail. His plan is to go die on a cross. I mean, I confess that you are the Messiah, but this is not the Messiah I understand. Now you brought the cross into the picture. No way. We're going to fight. We're going to stay here. We're not going to Jerusalem. What is Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. The accuser. Can you imagine? (laughs) Jesus looks you in the eyes and says, get behind me, Satan. I'm sure this phased Peter, but Peter's been through quite a lot, as we've already seen in the gospel, and he's going to go through even more. When we come this morning to the Mount of Transfiguration, after this revelation of what the plan is, Our Lord, right before taking them up the mountain, he says, okay, you know that the plan now is that I'm going to die on a cross. Let me let you in a little bit more on the plan. He says to them, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? So this is all the context before we get the transfiguration. We have Peter falling into the water. Jesus, who is thought to be a ghost, right? Who has revealed himself, picks him up. He has queried them. Who do you say that I am? You're Jesus. He tells them, okay, you think I'm the son of God, the Messiah? This is what the plan is, the cross. Peter says, no, absolutely not. This is not the plan. And Jesus says, not only is this the plan, you know, get out of my way, right? But this is the plan for you as well. If you're going to follow me, you have your own cross. Now, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the high mountain. And this is then, we start right at the beginning, we start with Jesus on the mountain. He goes down into the depths of the sea, into the doubt and misunderstanding. Now he's like, now we're going to go back up and ascend the mountain, and I'm going to reveal myself to you. There his face shines like the sun, and his clothes become white as light. In the Gospel of Luke that has this account that we read last night at Vigil, Peter, James, and John are so struck by the sight that says they're you know, like asleep. And then when Peter speaks, it's like he doesn't even really know what he's saying. Like a, a, a gasp. Surprise. Peter is just talking, right? Not only do they see Christ's face shining like the sun, but they see Moses and Elijah. In one sense, this is some disambiguation, right? Jesus is like, 
I really am not Elijah, right? Here's Elijah. Here's Moses. We're talking. The Gospel of Luke tells us they were talking. Peter, in his reaction, you know, he says, it is good for us to be here. And what does Peter want to do? He wants to build up a tabernacle. He wants to set up camp. Let's just stay here, Jesus. I'll get a tent for you, Moses. Moses, great. We're going to have a tent for you. And Elijah, please don't send fire down. You know, you can have a tent over here. Of course, Moses and Elijah. Mountains, Sinai, Carmel, Horeb. It makes sense. The law, the prophets. Why does Peter want to build tabernacles? I remember when I was reading this text as a child, I was like, does P- is Peter just in another dimension? What, why, why is this the response? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Why does Peter? Yeah. That's where they knew God was in the tabernacle. They knew that God was present in the tabernacle from Israel. Yes. That's attributing to Peter a good, like righteous aspect, Right. It's a little bit more complicated with Peter, yes. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not in Jerusalem. Peter doesn't want to go to Jerusalem. Peter wants to stop Jesus going to Jerusalem. He wants to set up shop. He wants to enclose him. Why? Not only does he know what Jesus has been telling him, he also hears what Moses and Elijah are talking about with Jesus. What is Moses and Elijah talking about with Jesus? We don't hear it in this gospel. We heard it last night in Luke. They're talking about his exodus, his crucifixion, his death, his burial and resurrection. Because when Moses saw God face to face on Mount Sinai, He was speaking to Jesus. When Elijah saw as he was kept in the cleft of the rock and God walked past him, he saw Jesus walk past him. And now, in glory in the mountain, Moses and Elijah are talking about the glory of God. They're talking about the plan. And Peter, Peter wants to stall. Peter does not want to go to Jerusalem. Peter wants to say time out, pause, let's just stay here. What drives Peter? There is great desire in Peter. Peter wants to hold on. He wants to hide Christ. Keep him there and not on his path to Calvary. Part of what Peter is coming to understand is exactly who God is. When we started out with seeing Jesus as a ghost, this is kind of like the path for all of us when we come to discern who God is. Not that we see ghosts, but that we don't see very clearly. We don't fully apprehend. We know something is there, tells us and confirms this is who God is, this is Jesus, I've come to believe in Jesus. 
But then there's stumbling, there's struggle. And we see this growth in Peter, right? He confesses very clearly, you're the son of God. I acknowledge who you are. But when the fullness of the glory of God that is revealed on the mount, and let's be clear, what the revelation is not just Jesus kind of like, let me show you some, some divinity, and I'm just going to be like, look, glory. It is, let me show you glory, crucified Lord. Moses and Elijah speaking with him about his glory. That is the crucified God. Peter still kind of has God as glory, you know, miracles, the Messiah, all of this. He has not wrapped his mind and his heart around God as the crucified one. And what follows from that, of course, is not grasping God as the crucified one is what our Lord said. The rest of the plan is then that God calls each and every one of us to pick up our own cross, to deny ourselves. What Peter does and what we can do so easily is kind of freeze frame our understanding of God, almost like an idol. As long as the God's glory is something that I can control or is something that we can just stop from going to the cross, then, well, we have a tabernacle. We have a nice setting for things. I've, give, I've confessed that God is God. But to really, truly enter into the glory that Christ calls us into, it means, brothers and sisters, we ourselves are called up, not just into a conversation with Moses and Elijah about the cross, but to ourselves ascending the crosses in our own life. Christ shows us himself in all the glory of the crucified Lord. And like Peter, we can tremble. We want to grasp at earthly realities and certainties. We want to sanctify our fears, the reasons why we don't really want to die on our particular cross. We can dress up our excuses, maybe spiritualize our misunderstandings. But at the center of the transfiguration is, of course, the cross. And what he had told them right before ascending it, our own ascent up that mountain, the climbing up on our own crosses. St. John Chrysostom tells us, this transfiguration was, of course, to show the glory of the cross, but it was also to console Peter and the others in their dread of the passion, and to raise up their minds. It's not just dread, or it's not just seeing the cross and trembling, but we have the voice of the Father who speaks and says, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased, hear him. The crucified one is the beloved one of God. This is the one in whom God delights in or is well pleased in. This is the one speaking in the glory on Mount Tabor who speaks from the cross. This is the one that we listen to, that we believe in, that we obey. The one who frees us from sickness, 
from the demons, who grabs us out of the depths of the waters in our struggle and doubt. This is also the one who brings life as we ourselves die to ourselves. So brothers and sisters, as we come to those parts in our life where we give glory and honor to God, but we are discerning that there's a cross, let us embrace that cross, knowing that it is the glory of God because it is also our glory that he invites us into. And especially here the words of Jesus, especially after God the Father has told us, listen to him. When he says, as Peter, James, and John are needing to get up, he says, Arise, do not be afraid, because I will arise. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to God.